Do you want to hear about something that is so unique for two-year colleges? Did you know that Unmuddle created a national marketplace for community colleges? That's right. For more details, go to unmuddle.com slash colleges. That's U-N-M-U-D-L dot com slash colleges. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Edip Experience Podcast, where we make education your business. This is Dr. Joe Salustio here with you again and again and again. No, I will never go anywhere. You're going to get stuck listening to me if you listen to the Edip Experience Podcast, if you are wondering. So you might as well, you might as well head to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and please write us a review. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Tell us that you hate it. If you want to, I, I don't care. Just tell us something because we're, we're having trouble getting everybody to take their five minutes out of, uh, out of uh, their busyness in higher ed to, to give us a rating and review. Let us uh, know what questions you want us to ask. Let us know what topics you want us to cover. That's the open feedback and transparency here at the EdUp Experience. Um, you could tell me that I'm your favorite EdUp host if that's what you'd like to write. Um, don't tell Liz, but you, know, you, can, you can do that if you want. So you could write anything, give us a review, Give us a rating. We would greatly appreciate it. Uh, we are closing in. When this episode is released, we will have released our 300th episode of the Edip Experience. We, on this episode, will be talking with our 90-something, if, if that's a, I don't know if that's an official number, 90-something, if, uh, president, university or college president. And we're closing in on 100 interviewed college and university presidents with a range of themes and topics that are only going to be enriched and expanded by my guest today. Her name is Dr. Christine Bangino, and she is president of Queensborough Community College. Christine, how are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me today. And I have to tell you, my daughter gave you five stars yesterday when she went on. Well, I love her, and, I, and I, that is very nice of you and of her to do that. I appreciate it. And I, I do want to um, give myself a little bit of credit here, Christina. I did nail that first sound effect. So the yes, timing was, yep. well, Christine, this isn't about me. This is about you, the incredible work happening in the CUNY system. Specifically, today, we're talking about Queensborough Community College. So I know, I know New York. I know Queens. I've got uh, I've got my sister and brother-in-law in Long Island City, right at the tip of Queens. Uh, but where is Queensboro Community College situated? And talk about your students and what you guys do. Sure. So we are on the opposite end of Queens from Long Island City. We are the farthest northeast in Bayside, Queens, um, on the tip of uh, Nassau County. And we serve this year, we have over 11,000 uh, undergraduate students who have showed up for the fall semester. And they come from 140 different um, countries and they speak 78 different languages. 30% um, of them speak a language other than English at home. And they, 70% um, of them transfer to, uh, for their senior college to finish their bachelor's degree. So many of them are first generation students, first in their family to attend college. And, and it's a struggle to adjust and to figure out a, a complex system. So we're there to 
hold their hands. We have amazing faculty and staff that are highly dedicated, um, student-centered, in order to help students navigate the complexity of higher education. Are you is higher ed that complex? I mean, it feels that <laughs> it feels that way to us when we work, you know, when we work in higher ed. And then you think about, well, it can't be that hard for students, but it it can be that hard for students, especially first gen students, students of color, students from a lower economic background. And you look at this monster that is higher education and go, what do I do with this? How do I do it? But what is financial aid? And mm-hmm. what is that going to do to my life for the rest of my life? These overwhelming questions, which is why the community college plays such an important part in, oh, I don't know, in changing the lives of people from, from those populations because we try to make it easier, right? Yeah, no, I, but we use language. It's confusing. You know, what is bursary, right? <laughs> or register. I still it, don't you know? know to this day what a bursary is. <laughs> right. And, and the financial aid system, right, is, is so complex. So I, I tell faculty all the time, like students came to us dedicated, right, in order to figure out the application process, the financial aid, figuring out their, you know, getting their immunization status to us, um, you know, get meeting with an advisor, figuring out what classes they want, registering, paying their tuition, um, you know, and getting to seat in the class. So how do we help them be successful once they got that far? It's our job now to pick up the reins and get them the rest of the way. And I've had two of my kids have made it through college and, you know, watching it in a, the, being inside the head of an 18 or a 19 year old, and you realize, all of the times that they would have just given up, right? It's so frustrating. They don't know what to do. Um, you know, my daughter was taking, she was filling out the application and having to um, do a math assessment online. And she's like, oh, I don't understand this. I'm just going to have to take remedial math. And I'm like, well, no, let me look. And you look and you see, I'm like, no, 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 look, here there's a button that says, you know, if you took pre-calculus in high school, click here. I said, click here. And then she was done, right? But she would have, if I wasn't standing there, she would have, you know, gotten herself into a remedial math class and started there. Um, you know, so many times my son called me from Buffalo asking questions like, you know, oh my gosh, my teacher gave me a homework assignment in Excel. What do I do? I don't understand Excel. I'm like, well, I think if you go to the library, you'll find a librarian who will know, even if they don't have the Excel workshops in the library, they'll know where to send you because I'm sure there's something on the campus. But, you know, I always tell, you know, faculty and staff, who's that person, right, for each and every one of our students that they have somebody to go to all the time with consistent information and and the knowledge of the system. You know, that's so right on. And you you have to I think of when I have these conversations with my staff, I, you know, at uh, Claremont Lincoln University where I work, I go, is it as easy as an iPhone? Like, is there a big button that says, press me? Because, (laughs) because we expect that, right? Mm -hmm. Don't we all expect that we all, we, if, if you've changed phones immediately, anybody who's listening to this and Christine, I've done this where you like change, maybe you go from Android to Apple, or you get a new interface and you immediately look at it it and go, I don't know how to use this phone. I don't know how to use it. I I just, it's too hard, even though Phones are like the easiest thing in the world to use now because they make it literally just, you know, for the user experience is unbelievable. But it's, it's the simplest thing when you already are coming from a sense of frustration and you already feel disenfranchised to some degree, but that, that life has been hard for you. It's easy to justify when things aren't, you know, what you, you use things as excuses to justify why you can't do something. And a lot of students do that, right? 
Mm-hmm. Oh, this looks too hard. I can't do it. Oh, that's too hard. I can't do it. But we have to walk them through it or else they're never going to get over that mindset. And it's about, yeah. gr- it's about grit, right? You know, absolutely. And knowing that everybody else is feeling that same insecurity, right? <laughs> you know, everybody that shows up that first day of school are absolutely. insecure and they don't know and they don't believe fully that they belong there. And knowing that you're not alone in that and how important it is that the first time you ask somebody on campus a question, that it's a nice, wonderful, welcoming experience, or they'll never ask us another question and they'll never come back, right? So how do we do that? And I share with students all the time. The first time I went, you know, my first doctoral class I was like oh no I'm gonna go and they're gonna realize I'm not smart enough to be here you know and I was a 30 something year old adult who you know had already been successful through a couple of degrees you know so sharing with students that that's how I felt too so that they realize that it's it's okay to feel this this is normal what's interesting about you uh, Christine is uh, I think you've just have you not just passed your year anniversary as president of Queensborough Community College I did well, congratulations. Uh, we're going to give you, I, I, and this is the question I'd like to ask you. The question I would like to ask you, although I'm not going to ask you, I'm just, this is the one I, I would hope that mm-hmm. we could have been able to ask you now is, so what was it like coming in during the middle of a pandemic and now being outside of the pandemic? How is it, right? I can't ask you that because it's ongoing. Yep. Talk to me about taking on a leadership role at Queensboro in the middle of the pandemic. There, nobody knows anything. It feels like nobody knows anything still, but now at, at a point where there seems to be much more management, right? You, you've got to get people vaccinated. You've got to m- manage the process. Students coming back, I'm assuming they're coming back for fall, um, mm-hmm. at least in some degree. What does that look like as we go into the flu season? We're kind of like taking a step back in time to last year. So you've gone through a year of only COVID. You, you know, it's not like, you know, for presidents that came in last year during the, during the uh, um, uh, middle of the year from the year before, that they went from a year of a half year of non-COVID to a half year of COVID. You've gone through COVID the whole time. Tell me about that experience for you, what that's meant for your leadership, how you've had to change your leadership style, and how do you get on, how do you keep up to date on everything that's happening at the university <laughs> when you probably haven't even seen some people, right? Yeah, um, I started in a two-dimensional world, right? So for many, many months, I hadn't met another person on campus. Um, it was all through Zoom. And how do you build trust, right? With the, does the campus trust me through this process? And how do I get to know who they really are and, and the culture of the campus and, and who all the players are? Um, so it was that was my biggest fear, taking it on. And I did lots of different, you know, activities and events in order to get to meet people. And I realized, okay, okay, you really do get to see the culture even in Zoom um, and build relationships and build trust. Um, But you really had to work for that. And then to also know who to trust on campus and and in your senior leadership team. And, you know, it wasn't until a couple of months ago that I met every one of my cabinet members in person. Um, And then this. It's insane. So it's cool and it's it's good to hear, but then it's crazy to think about it, right? And I would be on campus and it's deserted, right? It was me and public safety and buildings and grounds, um, you know, the times that I was there. And so we are back August 16th, we started to bring some staff back and, you know, 50% of people are working, you know, half the time on campus, half remote. So it's still, you know, small amounts, it's still an empty campus. And then we started with students on the 25th and about 13% of our classes are completely 
completely in person and about 47% are hybrid, but hybrid could mean that, you know, they might have one or two activities on campus because while students are still getting vaccinated, we have to maintain social distancing and our classrooms just aren't built for that, right? So we're, we're doing what we can. There's a lot of high flex with cameras in the classroom. So I'm starting to see students on campus and meeting faculty, and it is different. Um, now that I've seen them in person, you, you I had a feel for the culture, but not as much as now that you really see it and the excitement, right? Like that's what you miss is being in a room with students and, and faculty and, and seeing the educational experience. So it's been wonderful, but it is challenging, right? Things it, it keep is, changing. Yeah. We were, you know, we've changed our course schedule a couple of times since last January for the fall semester. Originally we thought, oh, we could mostly be in person, right? And then we, we went backwards and then we went forward a little bit more and, and you know, do we have the right mix? Hopefully, um, you know, because people are still nervous about being in, you know, large settings, um, you know, and the vaccine now that it's been approved by the FDA and that didn't happen until, you know, a couple of weeks ago, students weren't mandated, right? It was highly suggested and they knew that once the FDA approval was, they would be mandated to be vaccinated to come to class. So we're still in that process. Um, you know, we put in a COVID testing, process for students who haven't been vaccinated yet and for staff and faculty who aren't vaccinated so that they get tested every week. So figuring all of that out, um, it's been challenging, um, but we have a wonderful team and, you know, my cabinet members and I were on the, you know, at all of the entrances, the first two weeks of classes navigating all of that right to figure out what is the process what what do we have to put in place to make it go smoother um you know because one day of course it was a heat wave in new york in the first couple of days of school right so we we got an ice cream truck there so that students can have ice cream as they were waiting for their uh, covid test to happen but you also see again it goes back to the first part about the need of students how many students came off you know the bus and ready to enter class campus and you know we've advertised and sent out so many emails about you must have uploaded your vaccine card you must do this you must have done that and they just have their driver's license and their vaccine cards in their hands right so we're all helping them show them how to upload it so we can get it approved and what they need to do and you know you ask them well do you have you know let me see your email you received an email because you need that link in the email to get tested and they're like you know they'll show me their email address right but they don't even know how to get to their email so it's it just shows how much you know one-on-one -on -one attention students really need and how do you figure that out when you're a larger institution you know with 11,000 plus students to make sure that each and every one of them get that hand-holding and the personal touch. Yeah it's a massive responsibility and you know one, one thing I want to pick out uh, about when you were talking about leadership too as you as you take on your role last year I think for any leader coming into any kind of situation in a normal world you think about that from the employee perspective, you know, whenever you have new leadership coming in, there's always this feeling of uncertainty, like, where's my place in the world? I got to get in front of Christine. I got to tell her how good of the work that I do, you know, that I'm working really hard and then I'm on board with her and so on. And as an employee, you, get, you, can't, you can't do that necessarily when you have a new leader start. It's not like you can pop in their office. So you kind of have to wait it out and wait for your opportunity. And, and there's just so much there, right? That's going to be studied, I think, for years to come. 
on the yeah. employee side, which is interesting. But, and you know, I, try, I tried to do that because, you know, normally, you know, if it was normal times, I would have gone from office to office and met with people and introduced myself and, and done that. So I, I tried to do that on Zoom. So within my first hundred days, I had met with over 500 people, you know, some of them in larger groups, right? But just as a way that anybody can come and meet with me, I ran book clubs all year so that once a month um, I had select a book and anybody could sign up from you know, college assistants on to vice presidents. Um, and that way it was a more informal way to get to know me. Um, and I also was able to then, you know, share some of my ideas, you know, we focused a lot on anti-racism and equity in the books too. So it, it served two purposes, but it was That's really good. helpful to get to know the staff too, right? So that, you know, the people that you wouldn't normally be sitting in a meeting with to find out what's really happening on campus. What are the needs? What are they hearing? And, you know, how do we do better for the students? And we held lots and lots of different town halls. We went, we started a strategic planning process and held multiple town halls. So, you know, 300 people are in there and we had lots of breakout rooms. And again, it was a way for me to get to meet people at different levels and, and to hear from them what really needed um, to happen to help us, you know, bring us to the next level as an institution. Many working learners today are looking to connect with non-degree, short-term, in-demand job training. There are many providers connecting working learners with these types of educational trainings but few are leveraging the skills courses already offered by community colleges and our strengths of working closely with employers and with working learners. If we wanna to continue to leverage these strengths, I believe we must be even more focused on increasing the access of working learners to our skills trainings that lead to better job outcomes. This is just one of the reasons our college is excited about being a partner in Unmetal. I'm Erica Barrero, Future of Work Strategist at Central New Mexico Community College. Christine, you come into this president's role a year ago facing what I think, and I don't know what you, what you say, if you agree or disagree, but please feel free to do either. What I think is probably the most significant problem that we face in higher education right now for the next a year or in a bit, which is re-engaging the disappearing student, right? Community mm -hmm. colleges, colleges across the U.S. down in enrollment, uh, community colleges specifically between 10 and 13 percent nationwide. And so you have this uh, future economic engine that has disappeared, 10 percent of it disappeared, re-engaging these students who have had to leave to go put food on a table, to go back to work, have a sick family member, and they've left the, the, the warm embrace of education because they had to. And we, we've, you know, there's a tall task amongst community college leaders in particular to re-engage this population who, who's, I don't know if they've moved on completely or if they're in a holding pattern. It's just a massive, massive responsibility to get those students back. That, that's a big task to take on as a, a president walking in there on day one to go, okay, wait a second. We got to get 10% of the population back in here. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and even before that, so when I started in the fall, we had 2,800, you know, brand new 
uh, freshman who started and we made it our task. I asked everybody on the campus to, you know, roll up their sleeves and take 50 students, right, and call them and see how are you adjusting? How's it going? You know, so I had my 50 students also, to, you know, which was wonderful, but you also heard the despair in some of them, you know, how lonely it was, how much they desperately wanted to be back on campus and how they didn't think they could do this alone. And, you know, and I had one student that I constantly emailed every week, you know, are you still with us? Are you still going? And eventually, you know, she stopped responding, um, unfortunately. But right now we're looking to see, we know that we had 384 uh, black male students over the last three years who have stopped out of college, out of QCC and had a GPA of at least 2.0 or higher. So we called all 384 of them. Um, we ended up with some grant funding to help support them, to bring them back to campus, to, you know, hire peer mentors to help, you know, get them through trying to figure out how do we build a community for them um and what are the supports they needed so again it's I good spoke, that you disaggregated disaggregated the data to that level to say okay we have black black male students that are leaving in an increasing blues, rate compared yeah. to the rest mm -hmm. of the population why is that right we got to yeah. solve that problem yeah and why are they doing it if they're doing they're doing well academically too right so how do we help them so you know again I, I was part of the phone calls to reach out to them and the ones that I was able to get in touch with were willing to come back because we had the funds to um, forgive their debt right Just so that they can come back well what since you brought it up since you brought mm -hmm. it up I do you're the first CUNY president that has come on since uh, the system amazing initiated <laughs> the amazing announcement of uh, the CUNY comeback. Can you go into that a little bit? What is it? You know, what, what do you think the impact is going to be and how excited are the presidents uh, and the chancellor of the CUNY system that right. you're able to do yeah. this? It's an amazing opportunity. So for CUNY comeback, those funds are for students who have have debt during the time of COVID. So it's a specific period of time. And it's two places. One is for students who had um, financial aid, but still had outstanding debt that it is automatically forgiven. They don't have to do anything. For students who um, did not qualify for financial aid and have a debt, there is a hardship application that they can complete um, and that will be reviewed by, you know, on each of the campuses in order to help them relieve that debt. It's a wonder that based on my experience with the students that I spoke with for this other funding, you realize that's that's what's holding them up, right? If they were willing to come back, if they didn't have those outstanding Bill. So it's a great opportunity to help re-engage students in the, in the college. And then we have to really be careful and help make sure that they have the funding in place going forward and also that they do what they need to not to lose it, right? So what I've seen at both my experience at Osters Community College and here at QCC is that students, when they struggle, they just stop coming to class, right? So they don't officially withdraw from class. And then disappear. that right they disappear and then that affects their financial aid right and now they owe us money which they didn't have before and now they can't come back because they didn't have the money to pay originally which is why they qualified for financial aid but now how are they going to pay off that debt so how do we get you know students to realize you can't just stop right you have to officially withdraw from classes so that that doesn't happen and you know and again they should always speak to an advisor first to make sure that they're doing the right thing for their financial aid before they before they take action so, I mean, this is a wonderful opportunity. It's $125 million that students owed CUNY as a whole from during the pandemic, which says a lot. I mean, we know New York was hit, Queens especially, hard. 
So it's it is an incredible amount of money, $125 million. And, and it's and believed to be the students. Oh, it's uh, absolutely. It's believed to be the largest of its kind in the entire country, the debt forgiveness program for yeah. equitable debt forgiveness. And, and, you know, I think to your point, one of the things that's so it rings true to me is do students do stop coming as soon as they, they have some type of hardship, they don't completely withdraw. They just kind of disappear. And then like you say, when, when time comes down to it, then they owe the university money. And they want to come back, but they can't pay the payment to pay off what they owe the university because they didn't have any money in the first place. And you get into this vicious cycle of then on the university side, the college side, you're going, we got to get the student back in. So what are we going to do with this payment? We're going to we're going to write it off or we're going to reduce it. We're going to try to match it. What? And so you end up spending all this time to try to get the student back when if you if you front end that uh, you may you save not only the student, but you save time and energy on the back end. So to be able to do two things, have a loan forgiveness program of this magnitude and the policy of not holding transcripts of students who have outstanding debt, you can really re-engage that population of folks who have left. Have you seen early success? So by the time it was announced straight and classes started, there's a very small window of opportunity there. So we are, you know, using it now to help get students back for the spring semester, because it's also, it was such short notice for students to change their lives, right? And Surely. back mm-hmm. to campus. Um, but we're also looking to see, you know, how do we have more paid jobs on campus for students so that, you know, what I heard from students, a lot of them is that, you know, they were working full time and trying to go to school, they couldn't do both. So, you know, the students who are here, when they tell you that, they tell me how, well, you know, so I stopped working so many hours so that I could dedicate the time to, to the studies how many students go the other way, right? And say, all right, I guess I can't do school now. So if we can have them have jobs on campus so that they're making money, but they're already on campus, right? So they don't have to waste that time commuting. Um, You know, believe it or not, even though we're in New York City, we're kind of in a transit desert, right? It's really hard to get to our campus. There's only two bus lines. So, you know, it's many students, it's an hour and a half. So how do we save them the time of traveling back and forth to work and to get to campus so that either they can do it online classes, right, and stay engaged, or that they can work on campus? Well, Christine, this is the time in the episode when I ask a question that is just going to keep you on your toes. It's, <laughs> it's meant to throw you off just a tad. So you ready for it? I'm ready for it. It's unrelated to higher education. So you got to really be on it. If Every single time, Christine, you walked into a room and a song was playing over the loudspeaker to be your entrance music, what song would that be? And let me give you just this moment to think about it. What do you got for us? Yeah, you know, I have to tell you, that's a stumper because I am terrible with that. <laughs> I, I, I put it on the spot like that, I'm a complete blank. Um, oh, how about... Uh, yeah. Let's see. Favorite band, favorite type of music. Let's start there. Uh, favorite type of music is country music. Oh, um, I can't. I was going to help you, but if it's country, I just can't help you, Kristen. I can't help you. I can't help you. You got anything off the top of your head? Who's your favorite I have artist? Nothing. No, you're going to have to try a different question. Oh, well, that's the only one I have. So now I'm blanking. <laughs> so now you're okay. stumped. Some, something for you to think about. So when we, when we get ready to publish this episode, mm-hmm. I'm going to email you and I'm going to give you lots of time to think about it. And you got uh, it. we'll put it in our show notes. Uh, Christine, uh, just to shift gears back to, to higher ed, just, just for a tad here. 
I do want to ask you about strategic planning, right? One of the, the, the key initiatives for any leader coming into a situation, especially a new situation as a, as a president when you're coming into a new institution, strategic planning is critically important. But you are in this solve the problem now mode. COVID puts you into this, like solve the problem now. But what's, what do we have to do now? We have to get this done now. We have to engage these students that have left now. How do you balance the right now with what has to be done in the future? Are you feeling like hamster on the wheel a little bit where you can't really think about the future yet because the right now is taking up so much of that time? Or do you literally box out time for strategic planning to say, this will end. And when it does, we're going to do this. Yeah, you know, that's a great question because it was something I struggled with. Like we had to go into strategic planning, right? You need to have a plan, right? So that you're all moving in the same direction as an institution. But how do you do that while everybody is so in that, you know, it's an emergency mode and we're, we're just doing as much as we possibly can at this time. So I was aware of that, but also the need for strategic planning. So the college had never, they, they had done strategic planning year to year. This was the first time they've ever done, created a five-year strategic plan, but we, we did it. Um, and what was helpful was we had a starting point because I had met with 500 people. Um, so I had all of my notes from all of that. And I asked people, um, a lot of times I would ask them the same questions, like what is something that you think absolutely should not change the college and then something that you know absolutely should and for the most part nobody had the absolutely should so they don't be like well if you had a new president come in you know that you're thinking oh i hope they look over there and you know work a little bit over there what's that little bit that needs to change so we had that we had also sent out a survey to people with similar questions so we had that um, and then, like I said, we did these town halls. So our focus, right, is to close the equity gaps is essential for our students and they're there. So, you know, we've been sharing the data with people so, so that they can see it. So equity is at the center of our strategic plan, but also there was a need lot we are very well known for our academies right and having students in these learning communities with lots of wraparound services and supports um and that the the learning communities are based on you know the, the meta majors but they've kind of changed over time so a lot of people felt like oh we have to you know don't change the academies and other people were like oh we really need to like do something i don't think we have the academies anymore so that's something that is going to be our focus to figure out like what did we want it to look like now in in 2021 and how do we put things in place to make sure that they're you know they stay the way that we want them to that there's a structure there um and then, you know, staff, we're really interested in, you know, professional development. And, and that's so important for an institution to grow. I really believe, you know, that we're a, a learning institution for everybody on, in, in, on the campus, right? So how do we support everybody? And then how do we build an inclusive environment and a culture of care across campus? So those are the things that we're going to be focusing on for the next five years. And people stepped up to the plate and did it and were excited about it, right? Even in the middle of COVID, what I kept hearing is this, this feeling of hope um, going that's forward. Good. So that's been wonderful. Yeah, and you know, I think it takes a, a real commitment in, in, in changing your thinking to get away from the right now to really think about the future. And it's easy to think that COVID's going to change consequences. So it's hard to plan for the future until you know what's going to happen in the present. And, and you have to think beyond it, right? And so that the fact that you can get through that with a, a leadership team to really plan out that far is a testament to your leadership because it does take 
literal, it, I think it takes more focus than it ever has before because of the needs of now. Um, so it's always an interesting process to go through when you can do it uh, and sit down and, and focus on it. And Christine, I, I have to tell you, I, um, I have loved the leaders that I've spoken to from the CUNY system. Um, give me a peek under the hood on what it's like to be a president uh, and how the camaraderie, uh, how the um, teamwork looks like within the CUNY system amongst all the presidents uh, and chancellor and how you guys all work together. Well, I think we all have the same mission, right? We're all serving the same students. So, and, and it's great to always have people in the same situation to rely on, right? So, you know, yesterday's transit, you know, disaster, right? You, you could talk to your colleagues and figure, what are you guys doing? What, how are we handling this? Um, and even through all of COVID, right? And, you know, to, to, or to check in and see, well, how's your enrollment going? And, you know, what are you doing? Or have you tried this? And what it, so it, it's been, a, it's wonderful, right? Because there's, there's 25 campuses, um, you know, and we have seven community colleges. So we meet as a sector, just the community college presidents once a month. We meet as all presidents with the chancellor once a month. So there's, a, you know, and then there's all of the in-between meetings and stuff. It, it's been wonderful. That's amazing. Well, I want to give you our last two questions that we ask every single guest. These are not meant to throw you off, so you don't have to be. <laughs> uh, so what did we miss? Um, what do you want to say about Queensborough Community College that we didn't bring up today that I did not ask you about that you were hoping to talk about? Um, anything at all, just your chance to plug what's going on uh, at Queensborough. And number two, what do you think the future of higher education is going to look like? Okay, so Queensboro, what people don't realize is that we are actually a, a beautiful campus, right, with lots of grass and trees and, and it's hilly, it used to be on a golf course. So considering, you know, again, New York City, and when you see so many of the other CUNY schools that are really just, you know, buildings on a block, you don't realize that you're actually, you know, Queensboro is stunning. Um, and that's what everybody says when they come to the campus. Um, and then other things is just our cultural centers. We actually have an art gallery with African-American art there. We have a Holocaust center. We have a performing arts center who wasn't, you know, they couldn't perform, you know, on our campus this summer. So she brought her shows to a uh, parking lot at Bay Terrace uh, shopping center so that we could be socially distanced. People would drive up and we still had live music. So, you know, the innovation, um, the creativity is, is astounding at the college and then where is higher education going Where's i think going? We have to, yeah i think we have to figure that out i think you know we realize that the efficiency of taking online courses for you know especially for adult learners and people's busy busy lives and even if they're not doing a full course load online but that you know, we want students to take five classes. That's too much. They can only, you know, a lot of times they only do 12 credits, but you know what, if you could do one class online so that you can take that class at, you know, at midnight, right? Um, that's a way for students to make progress. And the other thing that we learned is that, you know, giving them access to our computer labs through VPN and, and the, the software, we realized that students are, you know, going into our computer labs labs at midnight and one o'clock in the morning, which they could have never done when we were in person. So figuring out how do we really cater to students at the times that they need and think outside the box and how to serve students better. 
I love it. I love it. I love it. Well, I thank you, Christine, for coming on the Edip Experience podcast today. You're an amazing guest, as has every leader been from the CUNY system. It has been absolutely fascinating to talk with you guys. Um, Christine Mangino, President, Dr. Christine Mangino, you got to correct me, a President of Queensborough Community College. Thank you so much for coming on today. And I will hold you to finding out your favorite song. Christine. Yeah, no, I, I, I've thought of it, but now you're going to ask me who sang it, and then I'm going to have to look that up at another time. But it's a great day to be alive. It's a great country song that um, I love to run to, and that you know, if walking into a room, I would want people to think that, right? That that's oh, a I love it. Positive, yeah. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Another episode of the Edip Experience Podcast. Until next time, everyone. <laughs> A lot has changed in the last few years in terms of what we expect as a quality customer experience. If we think about marketplaces like Amazon and Airbnb, we've come to expect features like the ability to search and compare products and services, evaluate based upon customer reviews, and to easily make a purchase. Unmuddle is a marketplace for learning that is bringing that same type of customer experience to learners shopping for skills to job training options offered by community colleges. This is just one of the reasons our college is excited about being a partner in Unmuddle. I'm Erica Barrero, Future of Work Strategist at Central New Mexico Community College.